0: Joel chapter 2. In chapter 1, Joel wrote about the judgment of the locusts that came upon Judah. He now is going to turn his attention to the judgment that was on the way but hadn't arrived yet. So we pick it up in Joel chapter 2 verse 1 where... Joel writes, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Well, we're talking from the perspective of God. It's his holy mountain. And he says, blow a trumpet. It's an alarm. We need to wake people up. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. And we read about this term, the day of the Lord, in other parts of the Bible. And every time we read about it, it is the day where the Lord is fulfilling his prophecies of judgment. It's not judgment just against Israel. As we're reading here, we're talking about Judah, but it's judgment against the world for not being uh, obedient to the Father. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, "...the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them. Even for many successive generations, a fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses." And like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap. Like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array. And so here we get this picture of God sending this army. It's an army that's going to be coming against Judah. And they need To be aware. There's a trumpet that's to be blown. That's an alert. It's letting people know there's trouble coming. That's what trumpets generally, either they are for advancing the troops or for retreating or as an alarm. And that's why it says, and sound the alarm in his holy mountain, which is... Mount Moriah in Jerusalem there. So this is uh, God's city and he's trying to get them prepared for what's coming. The day of the Lord. Well, the day of the Lord, the Jews often thought of it as a day of celebration, uh, uh, a day of judgment on the world. But this wasn't what was going to be happening. Uh, God says it's A day of um, gloominess and darkness. And the inhabitants of the land, they should be trembling because they aren't right with the Lord. You see, if they're not right with the Lord, regardless of whether they're Jews or Gentiles, they're in trouble. Because the Lord's judgment is coming. It says it's a day not unlike any other. And whenever you hear that term, a day unlike any other, we're talking about the tribulation period. Because the tribulation is going to be a time like never before. And we have to be prepared for the tribulation if we weren't saved. Because we'll be out of here before the tribulation For those of you that aren't aware, the rapture will take us from this place before the tribulation um, comes to the earth. God does not set us before um, his destruction. He doesn't uh, want us to experience his wrath, and so he is going to take us home first. In verse 3, we're told how beautiful the land is but then it will be devastated and if you've been watching any of the coverage of the war in Ukraine at the beginning of the war there was this beautiful city and then you look and just weeks later the cities are devastated the buildings are gutted there's just destruction and rubble everywhere. Uh, all through the cities, not just one of them, but many of the cities are completely destroyed. That's what, how I picture what it's going to look like um, in, in this onslaught. It's a huge army that's going to attempt to wipe out Israel at the end. We're aware of, of not only we're talking about uh, Russia and their friends going in and trying to attack Israel. But in the end, at the Battle of Armageddon, there's going to be a massive army. They're all going to be coming. The And Armageddon is really just a valley that runs through Israel. It's been a battleground for many different nations that have come there and battled before uh, Egypt and Babylon, and and they've all battled in this valley because it's just a great place to have a battle. And and so, you know, the, the, the nations from the north coming through and the nations from the south, they would come and they would battle there because beyond there, it's mountain ranges. So this was the easiest way to get from the north to the south and uh, just a, a great place to go. Uh, To battle. So that's where this is going to take place this battle in the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation period. The army looks like horses, it says, that uh, their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run. And I can imagine that Joel is writing some of this. And he's looking to the future, so he's seeing a battle in our modern day, but, you know, they're still fighting with swords and and spears. And so for him to see something like uh, modern day aircraft, modern day tanks and weapons, uh, this must have been the best he can do to explain uh, what he was seeing. They, the chariots that leap over the mountaintops, well, helicopters would look much like that coming over the mountaintops. They don't want to go too high in the air because Israel has an awesome air force and uh, they don't want to just become uh, targets. And and so we see how this could be something very real in our modern day, this type of warfare. Uh, The noise, they sound uh, like chariots. Um, I guess that's the best he can describe. Uh, You know, a tank uh, would probably sound like. Their chariots and their days. So uh, he was doing the best that he could to describe these things. We go into verse six. Before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. So here are the people in the land, and they are—they're uh, in pain, uh, probably more out of fear than actual physical pain at this point but their faces are white they they are frightened to the point where they have no blood running through their uh, their body right now then they run like men they climb the wall like men of war everyone marches in formations and they do not break ranks they do not push one another everyone marches in his own column Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city, and they run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? And so here is something that isn't natural. As they describe this army, uh, as this is being described, they don't push one another. They they march in these perfect formations. They're not cut down. Uh, they they. Don't even worry about any defense that's against them, and that is not typical of any army, uh, no matter uh, which great army there is. It's there's always a battle. There's always some sort uh, of conflict that will make the, bat- the groups break up as, uh, to a little. This is saying, no, that didn't even happen. And so this is a picture of an army because they're behind the Lord. And strong is the one who executes his word. And the his is capitalized because we're talking about the Lord. We're talking about Jesus here. Coming and doing, um, leading this army. So uh, in verse 10, we're told that the sun and the moon grow dark. Uh, even the stars dim. That has never happened in history, by the way. But it is an indication of something that will take place during the tribulation period. There are many teachers that teach we are living in the tribulation right now or we're living in the millennium right now. Either one. The tribulation is just an ongoing period. Hey, everybody has tribulation and we're living in that. Well, not like the tribulation that I read about. And when I look at Revelation, I can't imagine that we're living in Revelation because those things haven't happened yet. The the death, the total destruction that's going to take place, you know the 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 number of, of fish that will be killed in the sea will be so devastating that the food supply will be completely cut off from all those that survive on fish. We we're not the biggest fish nation out there, although I like lobster and stuff, but we're not. You know, uh, uh, but overseas they. That they rely on fish to survive. Uh, Without it, they wouldn't survive. Uh, So, when the oceans turn to blood and the fish supply is depleted, there's going to be lots of starvation. And that's what we read about all through. The book of Revelation, these things that are going to take place, Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 9, we understand that these things are going to happen. Interestingly, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the tribulation, and in verse 29, we read, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Well, that's just what we read. This is the same thing and and Jesus is repeating this. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Well, here is Jesus coming, and when he comes at this time, this isn't the rapture, this is the second coming, he comes at this time, his feet touch the ground. And when they touch the ground, an earthquake is going to happen. There's going to be a a new canyon formed uh, from the Mount of Olives all the way out to the sea. And, you know, it's going to be completely changed in a moment. But when Jesus comes, he's coming with people. Us. We're going to be with them. We're going to be on horses. You know, so you're not going to if you don't like horses they'll be friendly horses like Mr. Ed and they and they're going to be coming down with him but we're not going to have to do anything it's his word that's going to do everything his word is going to be the the instrument that's used the weapon that's used against those that are in the valley of armageddon In Revelation, it says that the blood will be up to the bridle of a horse. So it's going to be kind of messy. Uh, Fortunately, we're not going to have to go clean that up. So we read that in chapter 24. Then also in Revelation chapter 9, there's another reference I'd like to bring up. Revelation chapter 9. And then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it, and they will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men, and they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth, And they had breastplates, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek his name is Apollyon. And so we get another picture of locusts and the darkening of the sun and the moon because of the smoke that was coming out of this pit. So Joel continues in verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your hearts and not your garments. And he's saying, "Come, weep, repent, and rend your." When when there was sin in the land, uh, when someone was offended by something, they would rip their garments and that would show that they were upset and and or uh, they were repentant um, i am sorry for what i've done i rip my garment and i repent uh, to the lord and that's what was being called for rend your heart it says not your garments don't don't just make a show of it don't just show oh this is you know i'm look i'm so upset No, no. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. A grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so here, God is calling them to repent. They need to do real repentance. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly and gather the people so that everyone is involved in this. Assemble the elders and gather the children. Even the children and nursing babes are called to be part of this congregation. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. It doesn't matter if you're on your honeymoon. Come. Come. Be part of this. Repent. The whole nation needed to repent. The priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Uh, The porch and the altar are the places in between them where the priests would go and they would lay prostrate and they would beg for mercy from the Lord in that place. And so he's saying, go there. That's where you need to be. You need to be Repenting and begging for the mercy of God. So, as we're reading this, we have to consider God said that, do this so that maybe God would relent. Well, we remember the picture of Nineveh when Jonah didn't want to go, and God said, You go. You know, this is what you're going to do. And uh, he told him that, so Jonah eventually got there to the beach. Um, He he took the whale ride uh, to the beach. And then as he goes into the city to do what God wanted him to do, he tells them, 40 days, Lord's going to wipe you all out. It's all over. And the king tells everyone to fast to get into sackcloth and ashes and fast and don't eat nothing. Don't even let your animals eat and let's all get together and repent. And in Jonah 3:9 the king says, "Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish?" Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. He did not do it. And so here the Lord is calling them back. The interesting thing is we don't know that it was ever fulfilled. We don't have any indication that It was. They may have actually repented. They may have actually listened to this in the time of Joel and not um, been uh, devastated by uh, God's judgment. So he is giving them uh, the remedy for his judgment. He tells them what they need to do. This is good for us today too. You see, it's all about obedience. It's all about listening to what the Lord has said and then being obedient to what he said. And so we know what God requires of us. We, we understand it because we have the full scripture. And so he wants us to be obedient. He calls us to do that. He's, he called them and he said, cry out to me. And I'll have mercy. And we know that when we do the same thing, when we go before the Lord and we bring him our sin and our transgressions and tell him he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not like, uh, you know, we have to see if there's another way. No, we know the way. He, it's the same way that he called Israel to and the same way that he calls us to uh, still I believe uh, in this day if my people will humble themselves uh, you know then he will heal th- their land but uh, the problem is is his people don't humble themselves very often we have to wait until uh, everything is like like today uh, like like our world now and and then people start to act. Verse eighteen. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous Things and here is a promise that he will get rid of the enemy that is uh, coming into the land, but but he also promises oil, which is indic- uh, indicative of the Holy Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit. They used oil for just about everything, for light. And they also used it for anointing. And, uh, and he said he promised them oil. He promised them bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we understand that bread is necessary for life, back then especially. And he was promising them to give them oil and bread and wine, everything that they needed to survive. He wasn't talking about giving them opulence. He wasn't talking about giving them riches and and above and beyond. Another teaching of the day is the, the health and wealth movement that if you're not rich, if you're not completely healthy, if you're not You know, you don't have the, you know, the biggest house and so on. If you don't have all that, then there must be some sin in your life. You you know, there's something you're doing wrong and God isn't blessing you with all. Just, you know, give your money to our ministry and we will pray for you that, you know, and and that's what people are doing. I'm not asking for your money, by the way. Uh, But that's what some people do that they think that everyone should be well i didn't see jesus riding around in chariots and and sporting expensive clothing and you know i i bet you he never had a ribeye so god says that he's going to remove the northern army and drive them away into a barren and desolate land this has a near and a far fulfillment. It's one of these prophecies that was fulfilled in different ways. The near in the Assyrian army that came in shortly after Joel and then came in and did. Devastate the land. They took prisoners and they, they devastated the people and took them in chains and, and uh, took them out of the land. And then the people that were still there in Judah, that was in Israel, and, and the people that were still there in Judah, they, they did take many captives out. They were actually repopulating the land with people from other nations. Uh, so that they, they were trying to integrate all of these different uh nations that were uh they were captives and they were all mixed ar- around so that they can wash away basically their nationalities and they would assimilate them and uh and and wipe that out and so here Shennacherib was there outside of Jerusalem, and he had. Probably an army of 200,000 at that time, maybe more, outside of Jerusalem. And he was um, telling the king, I'm going to come in and I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to destroy you. And king just told everyone, you know, we need to fast. We need to pray. And God told him, don't worry, it's all good. And the next day he goes out and 185,000 troops, Assyrians, are dead. And Shennacherib leaves and, and it was all over. But that's God showing off. He's like, it doesn't matter how big the army is. You know, who would they, they're, they're dealing with God. Uh, the creator of all things. And we're worried about that. And so that was maybe the near prophecy. But then there's the future prophecy. Another prophecy where an army from the north is going to come in to Israel. And they're going to be destroyed in the mountains of Israel. And only a sixth of the army will be left to escape and run home. And that will happen I believe, right after the rapture of the church when the Russian army with uh, Turkey and, and uh, Ethiopia, Libya, Syria, they're all going to come in and attack and they're not going to win. They're going to be devastated. God will show himself strong on behalf of his nation, his people, and then they're going to be turned away by God. It's another one of those prophecies that we haven't seen fulfilled yet but um, it uh, is coming soon I believe fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice verse 21 for the Lord has done marvelous things well this is going to be exciting when the this battle takes place and and the armies of the north the bear to the north with all of their people come in and they're devastated by the Lord and it's going to be obvious it was the Lord that intervened because Israel would not be able to put up a defense against that size army and uh, and the army is devastated do not be afraid you beasts of the field for the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit the fig tree and the vine yield their strength Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. And so here... He's talking about how he's going to prosper Israel. And we see in 1947, Israel became a nation. They came back into their land and they have been prospering. Before that time, for 2,000 years, the land was, it looked like the rest of the Middle East. Just a bunch of dirt and and some, you know, goats. And God restored it. And now when you go to Israel, it's amazing how they have flourished in the land. How they have stuff growing everywhere. They have found ways to irrigate the land that you could never imagine would be able to be irrigated. And it's, it's beautiful there. Uh, You know, it's kind of like Phoenix except Fountain Hills where we just let everything stay brown and die. But uh, in other areas in Phoenix, you can go and things are really green and lush because they uh, water it. And uh, and it's amazing what you can do in the desert uh, as long as you have water. Well, God has done that for the land of Israel. And it really has. Uh, flourished there. And and this is what he said he's going to do. Um, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army, which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And so we recognize that that is not talking about today. Because even today we see that they are put to shame that it is pretty sad for them uh, anti-semitism is on the rise again and there isn't much uh, that uh, is going to uh, in in their favor although there are some interesting things taking place there right now um you know the head uh, uh you know has stepped down uh, and Uh, It looks like uh, Netanyahu's going to run again, and uh, you know, we don't know if that's going to happen, when that's going to happen, but um, once again, uh, their nation had someone come in and everything fell apart, and they said, whoops, maybe we chose the wrong guy. That happens to nations now and then, and so When we see that, we try to correct it. Sometimes you have to wait four years. Sometimes, uh, you know, like in Israel, they can do this quickly. They can just have another election. And uh, that looks like what's going to be happening there um, by September, supposedly. But then they also have this oil deal that they set up uh, with Egypt so now all uh, all of the, not oil, but gas, the um, gas that has been cut off to Europe from Russia is now going to be provided by Egypt. Well, Egypt doesn't have that kind of gas, but what they have is the ability to liquefy the natural gas. So Israel is providing to Egypt the natural gas. Egypt is liquefying it and then providing it to Europe. And so it's another one of those, wow, didn't see that happening, but it's happened. They just signed it the other day. And now Egypt, and and see, in the Bible, in the end times, the last days, in the tribulation period, Egypt is a friend to Israel. And and so it it is mind-blowing because you wouldn't have thought that a few decades ago, and now all of a sudden we see the picture being painted. We see the players uh, taking the field for the final act uh, as it's happening uh, right before our very eyes. So God restored Israel but God does the same thing to us individually you see there are times in my life where I was living like Israel or maybe worse than Israel but here's the thing God was faithful through that time oh he let me make a mess out of my life He let me do... I had to suffer the consequences of my own actions. I had to experience what it was like to be in charge. And after doing that over and over again and realizing, boy, it's not getting any better with me being in charge, even after becoming a Christian, uh, I still... Okay, I got this, Lord. You know, don't worry. I'm I'm going to be okay. Israel did this over and over again. Oh, they were worshipping other gods and and finally they said, "Okay, we'll we'll stop doing that. We'll just worship the one true God." But then they made their own religious system so that they can worship him the way they wanted to. And it was just as bad as worshipping other gods and their hearts grew cold and that happens in Christians lives too but when we repent when we come to the Lord he restores the years that the locusts have stolen from us and he blesses us oh It doesn't mean we're all of a sudden everything's going to be perfect. You know, we still have to deal with the consequences of our actions of the past. But when you have the peace that surpasses all understanding, when you have the joy of the Lord dwelling inside of you, you find that the luster of the world grows dull. And that's not the focus anymore. And so... When we get to that point where we rent our hearts and not our clothing, you know, the Lord has a merciful way of restoring us to where he wants us to be. Quite often, it's the fact that we don't want to be there, and we think that there's somewhere else better to be. And then after we keep going the wrong direction over and over, then we say, you know what? He was probably right. Don't know why we have to wait till that happens, but. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall. Shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so, Peter talked about this when uh, in Acts chapter two, when Peter uh, went out, and they said, "Oh, they're drunk," because they were speaking in tongues in different languages, and the people said, "Oh, they're just drunk." I've never seen drunks speak in other languages fluently the wonderful works of God. So there are still people that even though you're doing the right things, even though you're being led by the Lord, there are people that are going to think you're drunk, you're out of your mind, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know because they don't care about the things of God. And so that's what was happening with those people, but remember 5000 got saved on that day because they did believe. They heard and they believed. And so here the outpouring of the Holy Spirit now you remember in the Old Testament there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it was on individuals. It was on Samson, it was on David, it was it was on Uh, people that God was using for a certain purpose. Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah. He would pour out his spirit and then that would become the voice piece of God to the nation. But they wouldn't listen. But now what we're talking about is an outpouring of the spirit on all flesh. Not just the Jews, But all flesh. And we're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about believers. We're talking about children of the living God. Having the spirit of God poured out on them. The sons and daughters shall prophesy. Prophesying isn't telling the future. Prophecy is really the revealing of the word of God. So it may be a prophet that would share the word of God with the nation in the Old Testament. But now we have the word of God that we share with others. That doesn't mean that every time someone reads the Bible, they're prophesying. But when you read the word of God and God speaks that word, you know when it's prophecy. You know when it is? When God speaks to you through it. And then it's prophecy to you. God is speaking to you uh, the things that he wants you to know, what he wants you to hear. It It is alive. The word is alive, and, and it's prophetic. And notice that the old men, the young men, the men servants and the maid servants, this is talking about every level of society. It's not just certain... Um, Religious people that have the Holy Spirit poured out. No, it's every person. Young and old and, you know, poor and rich. God will pour out his Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Well, we talked about that. We know where that's coming from. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so now we know when this day will come, but it's not just a one-day period, a 24-hour period. It's from the time when these things are happening in the tribulation period till the time that judgment day comes. It's all of that time that... The Lord is judging the people, the land, until Judgment Day. After that, it's done. There is no reason for God's judgment to be upon the earth because it will be done. The books will be closed at that point. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel right there. It's the gospel, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. The church age is still happening today. We are living in the church age. And as we are in this church age, we, we are the church, the Gentiles and the Jews that have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Once the rapture happens, then God turns his attention back to the Jews. And then he shows them who he is. They're first, they're going to be deceived by the Antichrist. They're going to believe that he is the one that's going to solve their problems. But then when you see the abomination of desolation as spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, he who reads, let him understand, well, we aren't going to be here to see it. They are. The Jews are. The temple will be rebuilt. And they'll be having their sacrifices. And then the Antichrist goes in and says. Cut it off. Put this statue up. I'm God. And they realize we've been duped. Two thirds of the Jews. Will die. In Judah. At that time. In Judea. In Israel. At that time. One third will make it out. Into Jordan. And then they will be saved. They will repent. And they will recognize Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As the Lord said, among the remnant who the Lord calls. And that's who these people are. They're the remnant of those that were in Jerusalem who fled because of the devastation, because of the Antichrist. And so, as we see what Joel is writing about. He's writing about the restoration of Israel. And we can see it and say, well, I am not part of that. That's absolutely true. But the confidence we have is that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's not just for the Jews. Especially now, because it's before the rapture, and we get the opportunity To make a decision to choose this day whom we will serve. And when we choose Jesus Christ, then we become part of his family. And we will be taken up when that time comes. When he comes in the clouds. That's not when he comes back to the earth. That will happen at the end of the tribulation period. And so knowing this, I mean, Joel has some bad news for the Jews right now. And he's telling them what they need to do. This is their book. See, Joel is one of their prophets. In the Hebrew Bible, this section that I just read uh, from verse 28 to verse 32 is a separate chapter it's specific to them they have this information they know what god is telling them unfortunately they don't listen Uh, when god they they've done this right from the beginning so praise the lord we know and maybe you know we get the opportunity to share with someone so they will know also amen